great. We talk about the grace of God. It's something we have to dig down deep to experience. But once we do, then we find ourselves having to talk about it all the time because it affects every aspect of our lives, but especially that aspect in which we find ourselves failing and falling. So when we find ourselves in that position where sin overtakes us and we make choices and decisions that bring destruction into our life and we're broken down and wondering, what can I do now? How can I respond to that? That's when the grace of God becomes effective. It's when the grace of God tries to pour itself into our lives so that we can be not just forgiven, but renewed. And today we're going to talk about some issues that will be uh, tender, tender areas as we move into the portion of the commandments where God begins to deal with us very, very personally in terms of our reactions and responses one to another. And today we're going to deal with, uh, well, I'll tell you in a minute how we're going to deal with that. But first, I'm going to go over what we've already done, okay, the, the first few things. The first thing we talked about over the last few weeks, we talked about how God has to be first or we'll find ourselves always last. See, if God's not first in our life, you're going to find yourself always lagging behind, always after the fact, always not quite being where you wanted to be or who you wanted to be. And God tries to tell us, unless I'm first, nothing else will actually work. Unless I'm the central part, the center, the other areas in your life won't, they won't work correctly. They'll work, just not very well. You'll have to work at them instead of them working for you. Okay, so that's the first thing we talked about. And then we discussed the issue of fake gods in our life, that the tendency is for us to get involved in counterfeit gods, to make up our own gods in order to, we think, benefit ourselves, but the result is counterfeit aspects in our life. We find ourselves having to deal with all these fake areas in our life because of the fake gods in our life. So we have to deal with those and put them away. And that was the primary issue that we dealt with there. And then we talked about the authority. That was the third commandment, that all authority begins with God's signature. All authority begins with God's signature, and we are never to misuse his name. We talked about issues of profanity, and some of you were talking to me afterwards and saying, okay, I text my husband, told him, okay, I've got to... My mouth isn't working too good, and I need to clean it up, and you've got to hold me accountable, and back and forth. It was very interesting as I listened to different people saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a stand here, some changes that God wants to make in my life, and I'm going to allow him to make those. So that was a, an aspect along that. And then last week we talked about the issue of rest, that God wants to provide all of us with rest, but we have to be willing, we have to be willing to yield to him and to receive that rest into our lives. That once we learn how to do that and we yield to it, then we'll experience it on a regular and consistent basis. And God tells us that the primary day of rest that's to be set aside in our present situation is Sunday. That's our primary day of rest. And we have to determine how to make it a restful day, a day of worship and a day of rest, a day in which we are recreated, Okay, so that our recreation is one of recreation, not wrecking ourselves. So that was last week. Then today, we're going to move into a different area. We would have had honor your father and mother. That would have been the next commandment. But we said, let's do that next week on Mother's Day. It makes sense, right? And instead, we're going to deal with the sixth commandment. And the sixth commandment should be up here now. It's going to pop up for us in just a second. And the sixth commandment is a very, very easy one to remember. It's called, thou shalt not what? 
murder. Okay, oftentimes the King James says kill, but more specifically what it says is you shall not murder. You shall not put to death anyone or anything. This commandment is dealing with the specialness of life and the sacredness of life. That God has given us as humans something that is hard for us to fathom, in fact impossible to fathom, that we are made in the very image of God. And that from conception, from conception, that image begins to be woven into us by the very hand and spirit of God himself. Scripture begins to tell us that he created us and fashioned us and weaved us together in such a way so that we might be who we are. And it goes on to talk about a variety of other areas there. So, you know, some of you are thinking in relationship to this issue of murder or whatever that we probably could skip it. Okay? Because how many mass murders do we have here? Any? Okay. Nobody's raising their hand that I saw. Do we have any, do we have any hit? Professional hit men or hit women? No, none of those. How many of you have wanted to kill somebody while you're on the freeway? <laughs> Notice my hand is raised high, unfortunately. Now I could say the other side, how many times have people wanted to kill you while you're on the freeway? Yeah. And you realize at the last minute, I go, oh my goodness, I don't believe I did that. The issue of killing or murder for most of us isn't that big of an issue. All right? We're not having that problem in our present situation very much. So as I began to look, I said, well, we could talk about euthanasia. So I could get into that thing. We could talk about suicide. We could discuss the death penalty. We could talk about war. We could even talk about a multitude of mass murderers that we have in our world today called suicide bombers. Okay? They're mass murderers, what they are. And they try to kill people in a mass amount with a single response. And we could discuss all these various areas. And I said, I'm just not sure that any of those things would affect us as directly as the area that I want to talk about today. And the area that I want to talk about today is one that's very, very difficult. If you were watching the news over the last few weeks, you would know that there was a trial going on in Philadelphia with a doctor. His name is Kermit Gosnell, and he was an abortion doctor. And what took place, and although the media has been kind of quiet on this whole thing, understandably, if you understand the position and structure there, but what had taken place is there was a recognition that this particular doctor had been involved in a variety of murders of babies, that he would literally put to death babies who were alive after they were born, and he would kill them in a variety of different ways because they had not submitted to his desire prior to to die within the womb. So he was accused specifically of four murders and some um, a total of 24 counts of third trimester abortions. Uh, third trimester means that the babies were fully formed, complete, and yet he chose to perform this abortion against uh, the legal directive of, of Philadelphia. Now, in the midst of that, there are eight former staffers, workers there, who have pleaded guilty to murder of these children and have testified to seeing the babies moved, to breathe, and to cry, and stated that they watched an ultrasound showing the baby's heart still beating at the time of the abortion. So this is a, it was a very, very emotional uh, trial that, that took place here. And uh, my understanding is it still hasn't concluded. 
exactly how the, the jury is still out in terms of trying to decide how to respond in what way with this. You see, we have a, a, a kind of a schizophrenic society right now in that we say it is, it's illegal to abort a child once the child has been brought into the open area. Once the child has been removed from the womb, then you can no longer put that child to death without being called murder. But as long as the child is in the womb within a certain period of time, then it's legal to take that life. Okay, we, all, we all understand that, right? But it gets that. You can work through all the specifics. And I don't think we need to, other than to say, okay, what is going on? What has happened to us as, as a group of people? We've begun to move away from an understanding and a commitment to the sacredness of life and the specialness of life. And, and what began to happen to us is that we moved away from it because we began to say to ourselves, there's another issue at hand here. And we refer to that as the, the right of a woman in relationship to her body to deal with that uh, appropriately as she sees fit. And I'm not going to talk about that a whole lot, but I'll touch on it for a little bit here as we get into this area here. Uh, How many people here have known somebody uh, or been involved in some way or manner in relationship to abortion? Okay. So in probably all of you, you, and some of you didn't raise your hand because you've been, well, I don't want them to think that or something like that. You see, all of us have experienced it one way or the other. It's, It's just part of our society at this point in time. Either people that have had an abortion, being personally involved in abortion, parents, uh, that even have had abortions in some of our cases, uh, our children, all these different areas that they've dealt with this thing. And it was such a difficult emotional thing. It is very, very personal, this particular issue as we talk about it. Uh, Earlier we read Psalm 139, and that was purposeful. Uh, One section of it I want to read to you. God knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, this is an interesting picture. God knitted me together in my mother's womb. That There's some unique person-forming work of God that takes place within the womb, and only God knows how deeply and mysteriously this creation of personhood is woven into the making of a body. Now, we can argue till Jesus comes back about when the little being becomes a person. And we could argue back and forth, back and forth. Not about life. I don't think we can argue about life anymore. I think we are very clear about life as you look at it. Science, uh, as well as Scripture, is clarified, I think, without question, that following conception, there is life, and that's why we have to remove it in order for it to stop. But the question is, where does personhood come into play here? Where does God, through the process of knitting and weaving, bring forth his image? At what point? time is that mysterious thing take place is it immediate is it is it just afterwards where does that take place and we don't know and and like i said i won't argue about that area but i do want to say this that this knitting together of creation this knitting together of a special person if we choose to to enter into that process at any point in time ourselves, we are committing an assault against the very person of God himself, against the work of God who is our creator. We are saying, God, you must stop now and I will stop you. That is how we're responding. I will stop you. And all of us know, I, I've cried with a number of you people here who have had situations in which you've had uh, a baby's life that was removed. My daughter went through a miscarriage. Uh, many of you I've done here, you've gone through miscarriages and just the heartbreaking sense of the loss of that situation. So we're not discussing miscarriage because, you see, that action is one that takes place with God's awareness, not with our intent. But when we choose 
to enter into an abortion act. We are saying, God, I won't trust you. I don't believe you're doing this right, and I will stop this now because otherwise something's going to happen to me that I don't want to happen to me. And because I have the ability, I'm going to stop. Okay? I think we need to understand that the destruction of conceived human life, whether embryonic or fetal, is an assault on the unique person-forming work of God. Okay, I think that should be clear as we read through Psalm 39. But I want to talk about this a bit. Oftentimes people come to me and say, Pastor, is, is, is God pro-life or is he pro-choice? And my response is always oh, both. God is both. He's very pro-life and he's also very pro-choice. We just need to understand that he's trying desperately to help us to make good choices as we deal with the issues in life. Psalm 139, it says, For you, God, have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you. I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. Now, I want you to catch something. It's assumed in the Bible that human life is present in the fetus. It's just assumed in the Bible. And to argue about the Bible's insights on when life begins is is like to argue about where does the Bible talk about the existence of God? Yeah, it's it's silly. Well, that's silly. It assumes the existence of God. The Bible assumes the existence of life within the fetus. So, I'm sorry, folks, if you, you, that's it. The question you have, if you want to know what the Bible says about that, it's very, 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 very clear. Psalm 130, we can go on and on and on and on. There's just an assumption. Always has this assumption of life. Very little scripture could be used to answer the philosophical claim that God doesn't exist because scripture assumes it does. In the same way, human life being present in the fetus is the same assumption that is given to us by the Bible. So it teaches us from the beginning, God begins to form and weave this fetus into a person. The least we can draw the text is that the formation of life within a person in the womb is the very work of God. It's the very work of God. It's not merely an organic process. It's an intimate process by which God begins to form each one of us very purposefully, with a distinct plan, with a distinct intention. I have a big nose because God decided I needed to have a big nose. Okay? Why? I don't know. I'm going to discuss that with him when we get into heaven. Say, Lord, why couldn't I have had... I always wanted a smaller nose. He goes, too bad. This one helps you to smell better. You can take that any way you like. Hey, my kids kid me about that. They said, Dad, you have like, whoa, you have like smell thing. You can smell anything. I go, yeah, I know. It's not always good. And so many of you know who smoke. As soon as you walk up to me, you go, I know pastor knows I smoke. Because I can smell it about 10 feet away before you get anywhere near me. It's like, whoa, okay. And that just makes me love you less. It just means I want to get out the spray. <laughs> Help you a little bit. Because like me, when I smoked, you can't smell it. I don't realize. I didn't know that I was smelling like smoke. Someone said, well, smoking send you to hell. I said, no, it just makes you smell like you've been there. 
enough, so yeah, we have fun with that, okay. This aspect of weaving is a, it's just this neatest thing. I started looking to this picture that God is weaving us together. And, and as I began to study, there's a doctor, David Minton. He, he served at Mayo. He's now at Brown University. And he was involved in the study of histology. And histology is the study of the microscopic structure of animal and plant tissues and how it all comes together. And he talks about science was so fascinating when they got into the microscope and they began to see these tissues and they were literally weaving together. The tissues were weaving each other together. I saw a PBS show. There was this neatest thing about the brain. It says these billions of different different pieces of tissues are all being woven together. And it's like, wow, what's causing this all to happen? And they weave all together and they make up this phenomenal thing we call brain. And it's able to think. We go, wow, that's cool. And it makes weaves together and makes up a heart. And it weaves together and makes this liver. And it's, it's just incredible how it all comes together. You can see the weaving taking place under your microscope. See, our skin is made up of these uh, collagen uh, fibers. And they're stronger than steel, which is an amazing statement, for the same cross-sectional diameter. But... They're actually less elastic than steel, which sounds kind of weird. But they truly are initially. But they're also stretchy. And someone said, well, how can that be? Well, what goes on is it's, it's the knitting process of the way that they're woven together. If you weave one way, then it's not elastic at all. It's very, very firm and strong. And that's how our eyeballs are made. The eyeballs don't have this elastic aspect on them. Okay? But... The rest of us tends to be in kind of a double-knit process. You ever had a double-knit suit? Well, a double-knit suit, even though it's twice as strong as a regular suit, stretches. It stretches. Now, I've got jeans. Now, I've got these nifty little lucky jeans, you know. They're stretchy. Cool. I said, they're expensive too, but they're stretchy. And the reason they're expensive is because they're double weaved. It's the way they're all put together. And so they're stronger than a normal pair of pants. And I go, ah. And my sons love t-shirts, $20 t-shirts. My response is, $20 t-shirts? And they said, Dad, you don't get it. These t-shirts are not really t-shirts like you think of it. And they're absolutely right. So when I look at the material on these T-shirts and how they last and they wear, it's not like my T-shirts at all. My T-shirts are, excuse the term, we're not supposed to use this, crappy. Okay? No wonder they were four bucks. So you get that, that picture. So we got this weaving process. So God, is not, God uses the best materials. And he puts us all together in this wonderful weaving and knitting process that God is going about in each person as they begin to come together and become themselves. And then they come into being. And then they're born at the right time. It's just incredible picture your hands fashioned me psalm 119 your hands made me and formed me you give me understanding to learn your words wow so say this after me i am knitted by god i am knitted by god you know that's now my wife knits so that's kind of i i really get the picture there of it and some of you don't have that boy go online and check it it's such a remarkable marvelous personal thing 
Now, another uh, area of important clarification, we find in Luke some interesting thing there when it talks about Jesus and John the Baptist. Do you remember the story? Mary has is, is come before the Lord and, and he has said, you are now pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you have been put together in this marvelous way without any help from a man, just by God himself. I have placed within your womb the very Spirit of God. God himself I have placed into your womb and you are now pregnant with God. That's a heavy thing, okay? And she leaves and goes, man, this is incredible. And so she immediately goes to see Elizabeth. She goes up to the mountain, sees Elizabeth. Maybe let's say, let's say it takes a couple days for her to get there. She gets there. Elizabeth sees her, and she uses this interesting statement. I want you to look at this statement. She says here uh, that her baby and her womb leaped for joy. She heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby, John the Baptist, leaped for joy in the womb. He's about six months, okay? That's what's going on. And he leaps for joy in the womb. It's an interesting response by her. Someone says, well, you know, he's kind of jumped around. She interpreted it as, as joy. But, no, the scripture seems to tell us quite clearly. No, it assumes that there is an emotion within this child at six months that is strong there. Now, we recognize that even by science, they can feel pain. And so now we understand that you want to bring certain sounds and special things to your child as it's growing up because it will respond to it. Some people say, you know, give them classical music and they'll be smarter. I don't know if that works or not. I think my mom used rock and roll on me because I came out born to be wild. You know, okay, I tried. What can you say? It's like, ow. Oh. So these incredible things are happening that conception this wondrous thing takes place, and we say, I'm having a baby. Joy called me up the other day. You know, I told you about that, and, and she said, Dad, you know, I'm having a baby, but I'm not having one. I'm having two. Can you have twins? We were like, whoa, another set of twins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that excited, but oh, boy. <laughs> and so you got this sense. But she didn't call me up and say, Dad, I've got this wondrous thing that's taking place in my uterus. I have a series of cells, massive tissues that are forming together. And the reason she didn't say that is because she recognizes like, oh, no, it's a baby. It's a baby. And, and, and I'm going to wait to see that fully formed baby in about nine months. Although not as formed as most of them are. If it's going to be like the twins that we had with, with ours. Where they were only you know, five pounds or six pounds. They're still little guys. You know, they still seem younger than that. Because, because in their case they lacked all the extra special things that went on. Because there's two being on there. And Mary just talked to the other day and said you need to eat more girls. She said, I gained about three pounds. I said what? That's all? You got two babies and you need to get your stomach in gear. Start eating. I mean I wish somebody would say that to me. Lee, you need to start eating. Yes, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm eating for two. You know, I'm eating for two all the time. And there's, a, there's nobody else here. <laughs> but yeah, this wondrous, wondrous picture of this baby that's going to be formed. And there's this joy and this wonderful thing that's taking place. But then God also says that in the midst of this unborn child, that literally that unborn child, that fetus, has been called by God, and if it is going through a normal process, and I, by the way, if there was a miscarriage, this wouldn't have happened. God knows. It says, God knew the very days of my life, that he was aware while he's forming it, he's going, okay, I'm forming this exactly for what's going to take place in his life and her life. 
Exactly. So Isaiah would say, God called me. God called me before I was born. The Lord called me, Isaiah 49. I was formed in the womb for God's very purpose. And Paul says the same thing in Galatians. Okay? He says, but God had special plans for me. He set me apart for his word even before I was what? Born. Even before I was born. So what you need to get is that time begins when you're conceived for you. So time began for me when I was conceived. And God saw at that point on all that I was going to be, all that I had opportunity to, all the choices to be placed in front of me and began forming me and making me so that I might make the best possible choice with who I was and how I was made. And that was his intention. That was his desire. You see, when does life begin? We begin to get a pretty early picture here, don't we? If not right at conception, very, very close within that point in time, that God says, okay, here's when I'm beginning to develop this, this image and this, and this understanding, this intention and this plan and this purpose. And, and we know now with the event of, of ultrasound that after 40 days, a baby already has brain waves. You can, you can see the nose, the eyes, the ears and the toes. The heart begins to beat. The blood begins to flow. By 50 days, the baby can feel pain and joy. Okay, scripture tells you joy. I think the same thing is here. By day 100, the baby has its own unique fingerprints and can begin and actually does begin to swallow. So you can see these wondrous, wondrous uh, pictures and stories that clarify and show us babies being developed within the very womb itself. So we understand and know that the Bible teaches And science teaches us that the baby is conceived, and once it's conceived, life begins very soon after that, and that God is involved in the creating of this person and establishing a plan for them. And if we choose to arbitrarily step in and take that life, then what we are doing is we are becoming God. And we are saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You're messing up, and I'm going to straighten things up. Now, I have done that in a variety of other areas of my life where I've said, God, you're not doing this right. I'm going to straighten things out. And I will testify to you 100% of the time when I did that, I was wrong. And I receive a negative result of my actions. And afterwards, I go, why didn't I just leave things alone? Why did I get in the middle of that when I knew that this was a direction and plan God was doing? I just felt like I don't really want to do that. So I changed it. I encourage you, don't do that. The destruction of conceived human life, whether embryonic or fetal, is an assault on the unique person-forming work of God. You need to kind of, whoa, be very, 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 no, be really careful when you get into that. Okay? So the next question is, what about God being pro-choice? 
So we kind of, what about this issue that God always talks to us and provides for us the necessity of us making good choices and each one of us being involved in the choice-making process? So someone might say, well, Pastor Lee, you've got to understand, though, it's the woman's choice here. And I go, well, that's a nice idea. However, every woman I've talked to that's been involved in these kind of choices in relationship to abortion or whatever has been influenced by a variety of other people oftentimes by a boyfriend who does not want to have that child. And he is putting pressure on her, do not do this. And they'll use things like this will ruin your life. You'll have to pay for this forever. You won't be able to have a career. We go on and on with these assumptions and ideas that we put into play here to try and justify the action that we're going to get involved in and making a choice to abort this child. There are over 1.2 abortions in the United States alone every year. Okay? That's a simple fact. You can go online, CDC, okay? pop it up. Good Maker Institute t- handles Planned Parenthood for you. We have at least 1.2 million abortions in the United States every year. And that's down, by the way. It's dropped quite a bit. It was at 1.6. We're down to about 1.2. California, 24% of all pregnancies in an abortion. 24%. So one out of every four pregnancies end up in abortion. And of those, 85% are unmarried women. There's a stat you probably don't hear quite as often with that. 50% of them are women under 25. 85% unmarried. So... Many of us kind of start thinking, well, you know, that's people outside of the church, so they're really not within the church. Those aren't Christians. Those are people outside of the church. And I said, well, interesting. Um, recently, the, the conclusion was, after just asking the women that were willing to say, to say that they were involved in it, some 200,000 women who claimed to be Christians, who said, I am a Christian, I do love the Lord, had chosen to have abortions out of that figure. Some 200,000. We're Christians. And let me tell you one of the reasons why I believe that is. It's easier to hide an abortion than a pregnancy. Okay? Initially. Initially. Because it's just one of those things that can be taken care of for now. And the initial response is rationalization. It's a rational lie. And we begin to go through this thing and we tell ourselves, it'll be okay, nothing will happen. The problem is, God tells us, when we become a Christian, I no longer have choice over my body. From this point on, the Holy Spirit is within me, and he desires to give me clear directions about the choices that I make. And he asks me to make sure that I ask him before I take any steps. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So we're a bit countercultural with the world in terms of this picture. It says, I don't do anything unless God's doing it. You see, I follow God's plan whenever I can. And I want you to catch that. I follow God's plan whenever I can. Now, because of sin, there's times when I just don't. Anybody here have that problem? Raise your hand if you have that problem I just said. Okay, and the rest of you are liars, so you... 
I, I, wish, I wish we were broken out of that er- issue. But the fact of the matter is, we fall into a variety of areas of sin where we do not follow God's plan. And that's why I said I follow God's plan when I can, but periodically I fail to follow the plan. It happened to me just the other night. I went, I did not respond in the way that God would want me to respond. I allowed myself to respond and said in a different way, with anger and maybe a bit of uh, lack of generosity. That sounds a lot better than greed, doesn't it? So uh, that was like, oh, man. And afterwards, I was like, why did I do that? Well, I heard God say, well, you're a sinner, Lee. Oh, yeah. So ask forgiveness. Let me cleanse it from your body, from your mind, from your heart, and we'll, rest- we'll start all over. Okay, Lord, but this, I really feel like this is like all the time. He goes, I know. Because I have to deal with these issues of sin in my life. But I follow God's plan when I can. Can you say that with me? I follow God's plan when I can. If that can be kind of like a mantra for you in relation, I follow God's plan when I can. See, we have a moral obligation to stand up and share why we believe that life begins at or near conception. And that's to help people understand what's going on. You see, it may be legal for us to have an abortion, but that doesn't make it right. It also doesn't make it something that's going to bring forth hope into people's lives. It was 1993, Mother Teresa got up and she said, America was once a generous nation, but now it's become a selfish nation. And she said, the number one illustration I have of that is the amount of abortions that are done in the United States today. And I remember that Judges chapter where it says, uh, you know, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. And, and we, when we do whatever we think we just want to do, that doesn't end up in a positive thing. We get so focused on an individual choice that we miss out on how it affects our family. You know, we see all these issues with adultery and these things going on. We, we've forgotten how it affects our family, how it affects our 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 city, how it affects our state, how it affects our nation. Because that's how it works, step by step by step. And, uh, you know, the thing I said earlier, if we would just simply choose early on as those who are not married chose not to have sex, okay? So if we said, you know, everyone who's not married is going to choose not to have sex. All, all Christians who are not married are going to choose not to have sex. You're going to say, well, that's true. That, no, sorry. Okay, so, but we're going to make that choice, and I'm going to do that. And suddenly you have up to an 80% drop in abortion. Now, I don't believe you'd have the whole 80%, by the way, because I think then you'd probably have more marriage who choose to have an abortion. But you'd have a huge increase in people who would choose to continue to have that child and to raise it and to enjoy that creation that God has brought into their life. But that's a choice that we get involved in. And and we need to say that. Politicians can't say that. They're done. They say that. They're done. You're not getting voted in. You're out of here. You're a bigot. You can say it in a subtle way, but you can't say it straight out. But we can. I can. I'm a pastor. I get to say those kind of things. I do. I can say those kind of things. And, and you can say that too, one-on-one. So it's not a condemnation. It's an indication. It's a direction. It's, it's a sense of, wow, here's why and here's what's going on. And the person can, huh, let me think about that. And that's the point. Every year, every year, sometimes multiple times a year, one of you ladies, okay, walk into my office and you sit down and you start bawling your eyes out. And I'm like, what did I do? And you start crying and you say something like this, and this is a quote. 
God hates me and will never allow me to have a baby because I killed my baby. And I go, oh, boy, here we go. And I always sit down and I go, okay, obviously there's some pain here. And we begin to deal with, with this issue. And we say, wow, how can we respond to this? And this is not every other year. At least once a year in a small church like ours, I have at least one person, usually two or three, that come to me and say, Pastor Lee, I need to tell you something. If they're not already crying, they soon will be. Anytime you come to me and say, Pastor Lee, I need to tell you something, I pull the Kleenex out. Even if you're a guy. It doesn't matter. I go, okay, here we go. Here we go. And we have to deal with this and, and try to help them deal with their sense of condemnation and the guilt, and they struggle. Okay? We're going to watch a little media clip right now that shows us a person. Okay? We're going to talk about two minutes, and we're going to talk about how we can respond to it. We're going to close up our time together. And this clip is about a person who uh, made the choice uh, to have an abortion and the result. And this true story, this is her, and you'll see her on film. We're going to hold it there for a minute. I want you to turn to Psalm 51 in your Bible. You can just look right here in your outline. Psalm 51 is there, and it gives you some simple but very, very difficult directives in relationship to sin in our life, and specifically in relationship to this one. Now, understand that David writes these words after he has been involved in the murder of a man whose wife he has now brought into his life and whose baby is dying and will be lost. And here's his response when he speaks to God. He speaks to God and says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And so the first thing is that we have to understand that we desperately need God's mercy and we have to request it in our life. We all need the mercy of God, and that's where we start. Okay? And then secondly, we move to a, a request, a confession, a request for forgiveness. And you cry out to God out loud. And you say simply something along these words, God, you know my sin, you know my transgression. My sin is before you and I have sinned against you. I've rejected your word and your direction to my life. I made a terrible, horrible mistake. I've done what was evil in your sight. I've stepped over the line. That's a transgression. It wasn't I slipped over the line. I stepped over the line. I purposely shook my fist in your face and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then you say, oh, God, what do I do now? Let's continue watching this clip. That's a strong woman (laughs) willing to use her experiences to help others gain strength that they might otherwise not be able to do. You see, the third thing that the Scripture tells us that we have to move to God's mercy, ask for forgiveness, and then specifically ask for renewal. So David says, cleanse me with hyssop. That's the branch that they used to put blood on the altar. Cleanse me as you do the cleansing of the altar and the sacrifices, and then I will be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. You have broken me now. Please give me back my joy. Ah. Oh. You, you heard that five to six years of counseling. I go, oh, my goodness. Um, what a difficult, difficult time to finally get to the place where she received renewal from God because of an inability 
uh, to respond to God's love and to receive that into her life. Uh, And then the last thing that God tells us to do and that you saw she did, she said, tell others what God has done for you. And I I see that as one of the the key elements of gaining complete release in our life. And it may be the hardest thing. That's where we finally come to the place we go, I need to tell others who need to hear what has taken place so they can know that there's hope. So they can know that, that God has not condemned them, but he desires to care for them and to love them and to bring them into his bosom and to care for them in a marvelous, emotional manner. And I encourage you uh, to take these, these steps and to think through it. And even now, uh, for those of us that haven't been involved in this, and I know our tendency is to be silent in these areas, not to talk about it. I encourage you to talk about when life begins and, and share with people that are around you why you have the chance before you ever get to the place where they say, you know, and they tell you something that you go, oh, my goodness. I had someone come to me the other day, a young lady, and she said, um, I just felt horrible. I had to, And she said, I need to tell you this. And I said, okay. And I thought, okay, here we come. You know, and she said, I had a DUI, and I thought, oh, <laughs> isn't that terrible? But the reason I thought, oh, was because I thought she's going to tell me I had an abortion and, you know, DUI. Oh, she said, I know, oh, you probably felt terrible towards me. I said, no, I don't feel terrible towards you at all. <laughs> not, not even a little bit. I was like, oh, I was like no, it's a, oh, wow, that's a bummer. What, you know, and we talked about, oh, okay, yeah. And I've repented. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. Never happened again. Yeah, that's good. I'm thinking, Phew. thank you, Lord. This is an easy one. Wow. We need to speak about these issues, why life is special. And you need to encourage others to seek direction. If they're choosing, they talk to you about having an abortion. Make sure tell, you need to seek direction. Don't make, this qu- don't make this decision quickly. Seek some counsel. Talk to others. Be careful. This is a big, 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 big decision that you're making. And then thirdly, um, guide them. If, if they've made the decision to have an abortion, it's already taken place, do not condemn them. Do not say to them, how could you do that? Ah, oh, what a terrible thing to say. You bring them in and you cry with them and you bring them to Psalm 51 and like David, they can receive what God desires to give to them. Because let me tell you something. It should help you to understand that they will never, ever be gone from that spot. Because God will forgive them and he will forget, but I guarantee you one thing, they never will. They never will. They never will. David never did. Watch David's life after he made this decision. Watch the downhill spiral. What you need to do is help them to discover the wonder of God, who he is and what he's done, all right? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. We're going to close with a simple few songs here. And I encourage you guys to just bow your heads and pray. And pray for the people you know that have had an abortion as we sing this first song. Pray for those that are in the middle of it. If you've been involved in it, pray that God will help you to understand how to respond and show love and care. It's just a hard, hard thing. And then pray that we don't make those decisions that bring destruction to our life again, all right? If you'll do that, God will begin the process now of renewal 
and receiving forgiveness and seek out help. If you've been involved in this and you haven't talked to anyone about it, find someone to talk to. Come see me. Talk to. We have a number of women here. Be glad to share with you and to care for you and to help you through this thing. Okay? Do not stay in this place of condemnation. Allow God to speak to you. All right? I'm going to let Justin lead us now as we close up our time together. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who loves. You're not a God who condemns. You are a God who takes us in your arms and works us through our struggles and our defeats and our failures and our sin. And we come to you today and ask that you might do that to us here. If we haven't spoken up to those who chose to be involved in an abortion, we ask you to forgive us for that and help us to speak clearly in the future. For those of us who have been involved in it, grant us cleansing, renewal. Give us back our joy. Father, work as only you can because your son has provided us with that opportunity. Let us experience that release, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.